0: so here we are again colossians see some faces i maybe haven't seen in a while maybe a few of you are new uh so i just will say to you welcome to week 14 of our walk through paul's letter to the colossians uh we're taking our time we want to get the most out of what this letter has to offer and i believe it has a lot it has a lot to offer there's a lot of depth here and a lot of things that are very practical uh We're calling this series, Christ Restoring All. And as we've moved through the letter, if you have been here for... Uh, since the beginning, or at least even a few weeks through. Uh, As we move through the letters, as is the case with most of Paul's letters, uh, he kind of starts off laying down this foundation about the nature of Christ and a lot of really important kind of truths that we believe as foundations for our our belief as Christians today. Um, Especially he focused in in chapter one about the nature of Christ, who he is, what he's done as both creator, so he was there at the beginning of time, he stands outside of time, he is God, creator, but he is also our redeemer so he's kind of brought into his very personal part of our lives and uh, something else that's really great about this letter that we've that we're now getting into we kind of uh, started the last few weeks is we're kind of diving more and more into this restoration that we have in Christ and a very practical on a very practical basis so it's getting down to the day-to-day how we actually live out these truths these foundational truths when we apply them to our lives um, Today we're going to be kind of starting to unpack the second part of what we began last week. Uh, last week it was all about what we need to get rid of from our former self. Um, and today actually we're kind of, uh, as I was going over it again today, I've, I'm not sure how much of the text we're going to get through. We may, not, or may focus again on the first couple verses, uh, just continuing to build this foundation. Uh, of what we need in order to actually see these virtues in our lives. Just to kind of throw that in, if you're, so you're not like surprised. Uh, I feel like you've missed some of the text today, Brandon. We will continue it maybe next week, I hope, uh, in looking at the rest of it. But last week, if you weren't here, we are kind of really talking about getting rid of the things in our, our former self, because we know that in Christ... We're new creatures, right? The Bible tells us we're new creatures in Christ. That's The old person has passed away. Something new has begun in us. And I talked last week about there's this kind of seed that's been placed within us. And it has to be there. That's, that's absolutely vital to see that, that change. And so... But at the same time, we we also know that we still live in this flesh, right? I I still, it's not this kind of magic pill you take when you say that you believe in Jesus and then suddenly your life is completely transformed in a moment and you so no longer are the person that you were. We kind of bring with us into our, our faith, into our Christianity, into this new walk we have with Christ a little bit of our old intentions and our old sinful desires, and we talk, Paul talks about putting them to death. Put these things to death. And as I mentioned last week, we don't want to tame sin. I just want to emphasize this again. We don't want to try to kind of control it or manipulate it. That's like trying to put, as I used last week, a vicious kind of man-eating lion on a, a nice leash and taking him for a walk through the park. I don't know if you had intentions on trying that. It wouldn't go well, I would imagine. Lions are not interested in being tamed. They're not interested in being controlled. And sin is not interested in being tamed or controlled. It's seeking to destroy you. So we don't want to tame sin. We want to destroy it. And we have this old self, this sinful nature, but it's been nailed to the cross. It's gone. It's completely ridded from our lives and it's control over us. So we want to work with the tools that we have in Christ, as I talked about last week, so you can listen to that if you want to know more, if you weren't here. And uh, we want to put these things to death, and we want to do it violently. We don't want to kind of try and uh, hope that things work out, or try to kind of manipulate sin or tame it. We want to violently destroy it. And that word that Paul uses for put it to death is, literally can mean murder it. Murder sin in your life. So that's what we talked about last week. And now we're kind of getting into the next stage. That's what we need to be taking off, this old self, this sinful nature. And I think that's kind of, yeah, I, okay, even if you aren't a Christian and maybe you just walked in here for the first time today, uh, if you've been living anywhere in the West for a while, you kind of like, yeah, I, that sounds like church. That sounds like the Christianity that I've heard about. But today we're switching gears to focus also on what we need, and we'll maybe this week and next week, I'm not sure, uh, need to be, what we need to be kind of focusing on or what we need to be putting on ourselves. Not just what we need to take off, but what we need to put on. I really want to emphasize this and how important it is that we don't walk around naked. I know we're in Europe, but it's not a thing that we want to bring into our Christian walk. We don't want to be walking around naked. And what I mean is... If we only focus on ridding ourselves of sins, we'll find we're only fighting sin with other sins. And then ultimately we lose. We're just putting them against each other. In Matthew, Jesus gives this parable that I believe we can really apply here. And we can kind of use this just as an image to put into our minds of how important this really is to both simultaneously put sin to death violently murdering the sin in our lives but also at the same time putting on the virtues of true christian a christian-like life a christ-like life christian virtues and this is matthew twelve forty three to forty five when an impure spirit comes out of a person it goes through arid places so that's dry deserty places seeking rest and does not find it then it says i will return to the house i left when it arrives it finds the house unoccupied swept clean and put in order then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits and seven is really significant it usually means a completeness so seven other spirits more wicked than itself and they go in and live there and the final condition of that person is worse than the first that is how it will be with this wicked generation. Now I want to be clear, when we belong to Christ, now this is talking about, specifically it's, it's using this example of, of kind of demonic spirits, that when we belong to Christ, we do not have evil spirits, we do not have demons coming into our lives, or into, our, into who we are as our, in our being. We are completely... That is not possible when we belong to Christ. So I want to be clear about that. That's not why I want to read this. What I want to point out, because I think this, there is an application when it comes to sin in our lives and how we deal with sin and how we understand sin and how we fight sin. We have an enemy who is like this roaring lion, seeking, roaming around, seeking someone to devour. He's looking for ways in. The devil wants us to think that we have this kind of strength to defeat sin by ourselves in our own power if we just buckle down if we get do things right well enough if we if we're strong enough when in reality we're getting ourselves all cleaned up on the outside and just preparing ourselves for a greater sin to come in. If our focus is only on trying to clean the outside of ourselves by living rightly buckling down, white-knuckling it through our own actions and ridding ourselves of our sins through our own strength and our own power and losing sight of what's really going on in our hearts, this will often lead to self-righteousness and pride and false humility. And these are really, really dangerous sins because ultimately these three especially will blind us to our sin they'll blind us to what's really going on. They'll make us feel good about ourselves, they'll make us feel like we're doing something right, but in reality, we are in a worse state than we were before. So we wanna have this awareness of sin just going off my notes but I had mentioned this a few weeks ago and I want to say it again in First John he tells us hey if you don't think you're sinful you're deceiving yourself and the truth isn't in you so we want to make sure that we're being cautious about that that we're aware that hey there is a sinful nature there is something I need to be putting to death and there is now hopefully you'll get, get from today there is something we need to be putting on so this brings us then to I think back all the way to Verse 1, which I want to read again, because this is the truth that sets the stage for everything. And I know if you're thinking, "Oh, is he preaching the same sermon again? What's going on? I, I, I feel like I cannot hear this enough. So if you think you're, you've, you've already got it, maybe you're just a step above me. That's okay. Bear with me. I'm getting there. Verse 1 of chapter 3 says, Since then you have been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So this raises the question, are we setting our hearts in the right direction on the things that are above where Christ is? Where's our heart shifted? Making him the focus, making him the goal, making him the center point and the, the source of our lives. Now at the same time, in full, we have to kind of keep the the view a little bit wider here it 's all good to have our eyes fixed on what 's above, but if, it means very little if there 's no real change being produced in the actions of our daily lives. so you go in your quiet place and you 're like really spending time and focusing on Jesus, but then you know you 're talking bad about people behind their backs or you know, being a horrible employee at your workplace or cheating on exams or whatever it might be, then what's really going on? There's not a real evidence of what's happening on the inside. The reality is it's impossible, it's impossible to truly have our eyes focused on Him. It's impossible for us to see Christian virtues without Him. It's only possible when we have, in fact, been raised with Christ. When we've been raised with Christ. If you belong to Christ, if you belong to Him, you have been raised with Him, and a new heart has been placed within you. And you will begin to see this, and see the evidences of this in your life. Only then can we choose to live in this new life, in this new self that's been placed within us, given to us by God through his grace, putting to death the desires of the flesh and putting on the desires given to us because of the blood of Christ and through the power and working of the Holy Spirit. Only then. And then, from there, having been raised with him, we can fix our eyes on him and then see what it brings in our lives. This is the foundation that we also see reflected in the text today, which is what we'll spend most of our time. Verse 12. Verse 12, just the first part of verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. That is a powerful way to address someone. That is a powerful way to address someone. So you're here today, you're in this church, and you say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I I have been raised with Christ, I belong to him. What a powerful thing to say, hey, you, God's chosen people, holy, righteous before God, and loved by him. I mean, every time I read it, it hits me even harder. Hit me really hard this morning when I was preparing for this message. You see before getting into the Christian virtues we should see in our lives and the things that we need to be putting on on a daily basis actually the kind of you know day-to-day grind of it all Paul's going to again identify to whom he's speaking he's identifying us is this you is this who you are is this who is he talking to you are you God's chosen holy and dearly loved Verse 1 of chapter 3 kind of also ties in with this. This is it's it's reminding us that this is written for those that have been raised with Christ, that though for those who truly belong to him and are following after him in their lives. And I'll be honest. As as I was it hit me really hard this morning. I just I don't know, this isn't my notes, it's always dangerous, but this really hit me hard, how powerful this really is, what Paul just did and couple words and I actually struggled to put into words. I went through several drafts of trying to figure it out. and I still am not happy with it. But I struggled to put into words how powerful I find what Paul is really saying here and how he's identifying us as Christ's chosen people. This is your identity. This is who you are. If you don't know who you are, How are you going to become something else? How are you going to see change in your life? How are you going to see transformation come? How are you going to see growth happen? If you don't even know where you are now, if you don't even know who you are now, know who you are. Stand firm in that foundation so that you have something to spring off of and move forward with Christ. We have to first understand who we are. So, let's talk about it. Who are we? This is... The foundation. When we say I am a Christian, I believe these three, these three kind of words that he puts in here is—I mean, I don't know, arguably—but almost all-encompassing of what it means to be to say I am a Christian. There's so much we could unpack here. I think there's a mini-series right here in these three words, <laughs> but we'll, we'll we'll keep it tighter than that. I promise. This is the foundation for the text that he's about to get into. So we need to kind of understand. We need to take a little bit of time on it. But I also believe it's the cornerstone of our faith as Christians today. This is who you are. So who are you? You are chosen. You are holy. And you are dearly loved. You are chosen. You are holy. You are dearly loved. My hope and my goal with, if you forget everything else is that you leave today really understanding that you are chosen, that you are holy, and that you are loved. Because everything else depends on that. You are chosen. What does that mean? You are chosen. It means you have been personally called and chosen by God. Now you may think it's an accident that you ended up here today. And you may think, well, it's just a, you know, I'm a Christian because of the, the circumstances of my life. It's circumstantial that I follow Christ. Or it's geographical. It's where I live. It's the cultural. It's, it's cultural. It's where the, the culture I grew up in or, or what I was just exposed to. And I'm telling you, no, it's not that. If you really belong to Christ, it's because Christ has called you and chosen you personally to belong to him. And he drew you to him. Through different circumstances, and yeah, he uses culture, he uses geographical location, but sometimes he just speaks to people in dreams. So you're like, "Well, God, I want a dream. I didn't have a dream." Uh, yeah, you got to grow up in a in a culture that just is just completely immersed in Christianity. Or was changing a little bit in the as we're moving forward. God used those things. But you were called, you were chosen personally. And I'll tell you, if you have truly been raised with Christ, it is because he has chosen you. If you belong to him, if you're really a believer here today, it's because he chose you himself and called you to himself. And when we understand that, we truly, we understand that we truly could do nothing to earn or deserve the grace that has been shown us because we were called and chosen by God as He brought us to Him. We understand this because we were called not according to ourselves or by our own actions or our own will, but according to the will of God bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ himself, when we get this, when we begin to grasp the depth of that, what that truth really means, we begin to feel an immense freedom as we're drawn closer and closer to God by the goodness of his grace. His, his goodness, his grace is there to draw us to him. And when we begin to understand what it means to be called by God, it will push us ever closer to him and free us that even while we were still sinners, and we didn't do anything to deserve it, as we still are today, Christ died for us, and He knew and loved you long before you knew Him, long before you could have chosen Him. He knew you. We're not chosen by God also just so that we can live this idealistic Christian life, right? our cross necklaces Jesus t-shirts be a part of the cool club the church at five club obviously the coolest of the clubs which may be true but that's not what it's about that's not why God chose us and it's so much more than that it's so and again we could talk more and more about this we're not even simply chosen to save us from hell it's not just about that. It's actually much, much more. And I think of all the verses we could have looked at, I like First Peter 2.9, which says, But you are, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You've been chosen. I really wanna encourage you to let that sink in today. And let it be something that identifies you. Bring that into into your workplace. Bring that into your life, your everyday life. I don't know about you, but I'm chosen by God. I am a child of God. Changes your perspective. Changes the way we see things. It changes the way we understand our place in the world, and it brings freedom. We're no longer identified by our sin and our failures and our faults. We don't have to fall into guilt and shame and all the condemnation that it brings. But At the same time, we're also not identified by our success and the things that go well. I am identified as a son of God. I am his because he called me and chose me. And this is who I am, and that is who you are. How beautiful to know that the creator of the universe has looked upon you and called you to himself. He opened your eyes and your hearts to reveal your own sinful nature so that you would then become hyper-aware of his immense, never-ending grace that he has given to you as he called you to himself. And this brings us to our second identifier that he gives us right here in verse 12. Holy. He doesn't just call us, he makes us holy. Holy or righteous, and righteous literally just means that we are right with God. There's nothing between us anymore, there's, no, there's, no, there's nothing owed. We can go boldly into the throne room of grace, the Bible says, because we have been made Right. We are holy. We are righteous. You have been raised with, if you have been raised with Christ, then you and you have been called by God, and you have been given the righteousness of Christ, because He has taken on your sin. He's taken on the penalty. He's taken on the punishment. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's insane. The righteousness of God and yet we feel so small sometimes. We feel so crushed sometimes by our, our sins. We feel so kind of just weak in ourselves and yet here we see right We've been made the righteousness of God because of what Christ did. What does this mean? How is it that I need to continue to fight sin? How could it be that I need to continue to fight sin and put these things to death in my life and also work really hard to put on these Christian virtues and live a righteous life if I am in fact already made righteous through the blood of Christ? How does this fit? It feels a little bit contradictory. There's a tension it kind of pulling back and forth. We are the righteous of God in Christ because of what he did. It's done. It's finished. And yet at the same time, okay, now live a righteous life. Now put away sin and put on the, virtue, the Christian virtues. Well, in our limited time, I would say it maybe this way. Hopefully this helps and doesn't hurt. I think we can all agree that God, God stands outside of time, right? I mean, he created time. He created all of, everything that that we understand as time and space and matter. And therefore, he stands outside of it as the creator of it. He cannot be a slave to his own creation, right? He stands outside of it. And you see, you were chosen by God before the foundations of the earth. That's what it says in Ephesians one four. Before the foundation of the earth, before anything even was. Before there was time, you were chosen. That's something we could try to wrap our brains around a little bit. And when Christ died on the cross, he knew you. He knew you. This is why the Bible tells us, a very strange verse, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. That's Hebrews 12, 2. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Joy? I'm sure you've heard the story of the cross. Betrayed by those whom he loved with a kiss. drugged through an unfair and unlawful trial. Beaten within an inch of his life. Put before a crowd of people. He was there to save. And shown no mercy Beaten, spit on, as they yelled, crucify him. Then crucified, nailed to a cross, dying a shameful and painful death. Grasping for air in his lungs as they slowly filled with blood and water, which is the typical way to die on a cross. He knew what was coming. He knew what he was about to face. And it says, for the joy set before him, What joy is there in that? The joy was you and me. He knew what the cross would be and yet he saw what was on the other side. And so he had joy as he endured the agony and pain and torment and torture of the cross. And now today, When he looks at you and you have been raised with Christ, I'll tell you the truth. He sees you as you will be when the work he began in you is perfected. I'll say that again. When he sees you, he sees you as you will be when the work he began in you is completed, perfected, done. That's another big one to try to... Let's sink in a little bit. Because God stands outside of time, let's put it this way To Him, you are chosen before the foundation of the world. All your sins and failures have been nailed to the cross, and you have been made the very righteousness of God through the blood of Christ at the same time, in a moment. To God, this is the past. It's already done. You're already His. It was, and you always were. I know again, it's hard to kind of wrap our brains around that fully. But this is what it means. You are the righteousness of God in Christ now. You have been made complete in Christ We see it as this day-to-day struggle as we walk with Christ towards where we're headed, but he already sees where we're going. He already sees who we're going to be when we get there. That's an amazing, beautiful thing to try to wrap our brain around. No matter what you've done or what you will do, you know, every time we repent of our sins, it's always just like, I'll never do it again next week. This time I mean it. How encouraging to know that he knew when you repented the first time that you'd mess up again. He was like, okay, yeah, never again. I still love you. I know you're going to struggle with this again. But you know what? I also know you're not going to struggle with it forever. I also know you're, I'm pulling you out of it. I also know where you're headed. I also know who you will become. And that's who I see. That's who I see when I look at you. I see the person you will be. That's why he can have so much grace towards us and why we can get so lost with the burdens of ourselves and sin. Every single one of us who belongs to him, whether you grew up in church and lived a really good life, the perfect ideal Christian life, or you lived in complete rebellion against God for 50 or 60 years, it is the same blood that has covered us all. It's the same blood that covers us all. We are only made righteous by that. And it's done. It's finished. And it cannot be undone. You are chosen. You are holy. And lastly, you are loved. So incredibly and unbelievably loved by God. 1 John 3.1 says it well. See what great love, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that they did not know Him. Hmm. That we should be called children of God. We know ourselves. We know the things that we've done, the things we've thought, the things we've struggled with. If we really are honest, we can't help but say that. That I, that I would be called a child of God. When we understand that we're chosen, when we understand that we're holy and made righteous through the blood of Christ, you can't help but feel loved. You can't help but feel loved because you know who you are and yet you are called a child of God. And nothing is more Powerful, or a more powerful expression of the love of God or reminds us of it more prominently and shows us how loved we truly are than remembering the work of Christ for us and what he did on the cross so that we may be called children of God, that he would face that and do that with joy, knowing, Ah, oh, yeah, but I see my children on the other side. It's worth it. How do you know these truths? How do you know that you're loved by God? Maybe the greatest truth ever put into song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Ah, A few of you knew that song. My son knows that song, and he's two, so I'm impressed. This is such a simple truth, isn't it? And yet this truth is so deep and so profound that I can tell you through a lifetime of seeking Jesus and the knowledge of him and the truth of God's mystery revealed to us through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can never fully wrap our brain around what this really means and all of its wonder and splendor that we are loved by Jesus Christ. That you are loved. And yet it's so simple that even a child can begin to grasp it. You are chosen, you are holy, through the blood of Christ, and you are loved. This is who you are. This is who you are. Before we can put to death the sin in our lives and put on the good Christian virtues, this must be a solid foundation in our lives. You have to start here. In fact, you have to come back here again, and again, and again, and again, and again, And there is nowhere else to learn about this identity that you have than in God's word. Thus, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Read God's word. Dig in deep. Meditate on his word. It is literally the power of the Holy Spirit is in every syllable. It is God-breathed, and as we meditate on his word, we will know him more, and we will know who we are in him as his children. The reason that I'm emphasizing all of this so extensively here at the beginning of this text, as we come to the end of the sermon, is that we cannot hope to see anything flowing out of us that isn't first being placed within us. You have to be connected, and this is how we connect through understanding this truth of who we really are all the things that Paul is going to call us to do and to put on in our christian virtue in our, as christian virtues are placed within us when we belong to Christ and have been given this new heart then we can do as Paul is calling us to do right clothe yourselves as he finishes the rest of verse 12 clothe yourselves with compassion kindness humility gentleness and patience an echo of what we see in the fruit of the spirit found in Paul's letter to the Galatians love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. One thing I want to note that we see here, especially in this, is that all these virtues are really only displayed or seen or are really even possible within community. And there's something to that within community. Meaning it's, it's hard to be a compassionate person if you're the, always the only object of your compassion we'd be like, "Mm, that's not really compassion, that's more selfishness. And the same with kindness, with gentleness. If it's only shown to yourself, it's no longer that virtue. Patience, humility, all of these ultimately fit best in community. The evidence of a changed heart is a life filled with the fruit of the Spirit, and this is only seen in our lives and how we interact with one another. Which we want to kind of Close with today. In verse 13, this is applied with the example of forgiveness within community. Verse 13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So here again, we see this immediate application of what I'm trying to hammer into you guys today. What do we have to know? When I know that I'm chosen and I'm made righteous, I become aware of how much more I was forgiven than I can ever hope to give back. And in that understanding, I should be quick to forgive others because, man, it's so, it seems so small what other people have done against me when I think of all the things I've done against God. And yet I'm forgiven, I'm loved, I'm chosen, I'm made righteous. Certainly I can extend that. Nowhere is this more important. I mean, we want to bring this into all areas of our life, but I always like to really emphasize it's, not, it's so important to do it here in the church. The church is so often filled with jealousy and people talking about other people and people having resentment or being unhappy with how things are going with this or that. Or uh, It gets ridiculous. We need to get rid of that. That's wickedness, man. That's an attempt to destroy what God's trying to build up. We don't want that. And if people are talking like that to you, you can just say, you know what? I don't, want to, I don't really want to hear that. <laughs> we want to forgive. We want to have forgiveness. We want to know who we are in Christ and bring that into the community of believers. I'm not saying it won't be a struggle. I'm not saying it's always easy. Because we're people. And we're going to mess up. And we're going to get hurt. People are going to hurt you, even in church believe it or not. And it may not be easy, and sometimes it takes a t- some time, sometimes a long time, but seek to forgive one another and go back to that root of who you are. Not only should we forgive one another, we should bear with each other. We should support one another, helping one another, holding up the weight of each other's burdens. Church should be a place where we Stand together. No one should be standing alone in church. We are a community and we're united in the common pursuit of our identity, of our pursuit of Jesus Christ, and our identity of having given a new heart and being called children of God. So when you are struggling, let this be a place where you can bring your burdens. Don't feel like nobody wants to hear about my problems, nobody cares. Man, this is the place. To bring our burdens so that we can pray for each other support each other listen to one another be there for one another we are to bear with each other in our struggles and also rejoice in our times of victory and joy we want to be together in this because we are the children of god It goes back to this identity and it all is summed up here in verse 14 all of these virtues which i feel like are pretty clear And what those mean, I didn't explain them, but I feel like it's pretty obvious what those things mean. But here he sums it up in verse 14, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So whether it's compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, or forgiveness, or being there for one another, all of this is kind of all under the wing of love. These are all classified together under this title which is ultimately the sum of all of God's commandments right as Jesus said to love the lord with your all your the lord your god with all your mind heart soul and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself or to love each other to have love for one another but again, we can't start with, oh man, I need to love God better. I need to love people better. Man, I, just, I suck at this. I'm struggling. I want to get better at it. We don't want to start there. We need to first know where that love is coming from and from whom it's coming from. You see, God is this perfect expression of love in himself as the triune God. And because God is this perfect expression of love, He has now poured into us in giving us this new identity, this new spirit, this new heart that's been placed within us, a real genuine love. He's poured that into us, first in his love for us, and also so that it may flow through us. You have to know that you're loved if you want to be able to love other people. It goes back to that root. Who are you? And when we belong to him, and we know we are his, we can then begin to surrender ourselves ever more, to our true identity, to our true nature. The person we will become through the perfecting of our faith. We can surrender to that. To the very person that God sees us as we are, as he sees us now when he looks at us. And then we can choose then to walk in that spirit, to walk in the new spirit, into the new heart, placed within us rather than in the desires of the flesh. We won't get into the rest of the text, as I mentioned. I'll try to finish it next week. But before we go, I want to again, like I said, hammer it in today. I want to reemphasize the point today and leave you with kind of a what-if question. We had some big things, some really big thoughts that we've hopefully have hit you and sink in and hopefully you bring it home, maybe write it down and think about it throughout your week. But I want us to just really try and grasp what it would be like. What if we all began to grasp this true identity that we have? That we are chosen, that we are holy and that we are loved by God. What if... Everybody really did that. Everybody really lived that and applied it to their lives and the way that they made decisions, the way that they went about their lives. How would it change the way we interact with one another? And how would it change the way the world sees us to have an unwavering confidence in who I am in Christ? I've seen that in a few people in my life. It's rare to really own that. Man, it's powerful. It's intoxicating. And when we have this unwavering confidence in who we are in Christ, it means that I'm not so easily manipulated, controlled by what other people might or might not think about me or say about me, how they might perceive my actions. Because I'm not defined by them. I'm not defined by my sin. I'm not defined by my success. I'm not defined by what you think. I'm not defined by what the world says. I'm defined by who I am in Christ. I am chosen, I am holy, and I am loved. I'm free then to love as Christ loved, to serve as he served, even to serve those who are unlovable or unworthy to be served in the world's eyes, and those who have no intention or no desire or no ability to give anything back to me or to gain I can gain nothing in return. And yet I can love and serve fully and wholly because I know this: what's been being put into me. We don't need to be then bogged down with guilt and shame and condemnation, but we can live freely as we love and serve one another in the peace of Christ. I'll invite the band to come up as I close with these Last kind of uh, re-emphasizing statements, because I don't want you to leave here without really hearing what I'm saying. And you're probably thinking, yeah, we've heard it, you've said it. I'm going to say it again, because I wanted to stick with you all through the week, and hopefully all through the rest of your days. That you, If you've been raised with Christ and you belong to Him as a child of God, you are a confessing Christian, then right now you are chosen, called according to the purpose and plans of God for your life. He knows what he's doing. He called you for a purpose and he sees where he's taking you. You are holy, made into the very righteousness of God through the covering sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ. And you are loved. Not merely as something purchased by God, but loved as a child is loved by a perfect father. Knowing this truth, knowing these truths in your life and identifying yourself with these truths and applying it into your life, I can promise you it will change everything about who you are and every aspect of your life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love, for your calling on our lives, and for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ's blood on the cross. I pray, Father, that you will let this sink into our hearts. There are some big truths in this, some things that take, I believe, a lifetime to truly grasp. I certainly haven't wrapped my brain around it. But I pray, Father, that everyone here today leaves with these truths and begins to see the effect of knowing them and applying them in their everyday lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you now to stand as we will close with one final song together and if you need prayer during this last song uh, there will be two people over here at the cross Uh, if anything that you're struggling with any burden that you've brought in with you today feel free and they'd be happy to pray with you